Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber, and we had a good topic tonight because something totally different. Yeah, yeah. We don't really we've ever talked about this. I don't know if we have really. We don't talk I don't about. I don't remember magical ever. systems a, a ton. No, this no, might be a first. I, since this may be something new for us. We brought Ghostly Talk back, but or I, even I, no, I'm talking about in the old days too. Oh, you guys didn't have like. People like pagans or Wiccans or anybody. Uh, maybe yeah, we had to have. You had to have. You had to have remember. talked about like witchcraft. That was and stuff so like that. long ago. I don't oh, remember. Oh, because you're just so old. That was so long oh, ago. Back in so back in eighteen forty seven, okay. we did okay. our first podcast through Before a wood, the internet through a wooden telephone that okay. a horse drawn carriage had yeah. to move, make the wheel turn around to make us get a transmission yeah. out to people. Okay. Yeah, that, yep. back in those old days. Well, anyway, right. I I was geeked about this because I Brandon had reached out. I believe it was through. Net galley, what? something. Yeah, it wasn't. It, this wasn't a direct um, ghostly talk thing. It was something that came through Net galley, which is where I get advanced readers' copies God, of books. Re- I don't remember anything anymore. And then he had this book, um, which I was like, um, yes, this is totally at my alley. Ozark folk magic. Yeah. And I was like, well, uh, do you want to be on our podcast? <laughs> I wrote him back, and he's like, yes. Here's a PDF of my book, and I'm like, ah, free books. Cool. <laughs> so I get all excited about that, yeah. but. I've always been interested cool in folk magic and uh, folklore, obviously, and just that kind of practice. I feel like yeah. it's more accessible to people if they are interested in getting into the practice of magic and they are a little intimidated by something like, I don't know, all the ceremonies that can come with Wicca or other forms of paganism or if you know someone out there that's a ceremon- ceremonial magician, uh, stuff like that. It's just it's like, no, there's too many steps in processes like that's not my jam i don't like that well we kept one of the words you guys will listen for these words we say uh throughout this this discussion we had with brandon weston and one of the words you'll hear a lot is the word simplicity yeah simple uh and i and i that's what it really i appreciate about what we were talking about tonight what i learned from brandon was just this idea of simplicity with the ozarkers um i also by talking to brandon came up with the best new metal band name oh god no omen bringer okay oh, so you know there's some kids bashing it out you in think? the basement right now you think you think someone's named well that already? i i personally could not start a band called omen bringer myself well because, what because you'd be like an omen cover band like because like, well you really i'm not messing with one of the greatest the band omen like one of the greatest metal bands just, of all time the things band we omen, were talking about with brandon with one of the things he was talking about was omen bringers or like tokens yeah. that appear it's pretty badass um sounding, though like, you know, a bird suddenly appears at your door. It might we mean this are or a butterfly. Omen Come on, I know. Omen bringer. I can just, I can see the awesome font. <laughs> yeah, a really just, good just, font. Just like, just really, <laughs> a really good font. So, what, yeah. Just, what, what is a really good font? <laughs> it's not papyrus. It's not, oh God. <laughs> no. If, no. There, if there's a cryptotite, no. crypti, yeah, cryptotite. A My kryptonite font. Your kryptonite font is, I thought, is it papyrus? Papyrus. It's not papyrus. Some people are like, it's papyrus. It's not papyrus. Papyrus. It's papyrus. Uh, So, yeah, make sure. Yeah, somebody. Actually, I I can make that like in three. I can just find the papyrus font and make it. I've seen metal bands use that font. Oh, I've seen a lot of metal. I've seen a lot of people use that font. I know. And I've seen you like just like watch your antlers pop. You know, and I got angry about that. We're not going to that place because they have the papyrus font in their logo. It's true. It's true. We've literally denied service to. Like we've not done business with companies, but you know, you because know, of their I, logo. I was getting angry at that font before I knew other people were angry at that font. So all of a sudden, someone sent me a link to 
I don't know, I hate papyrusfont.com or something. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. And there was all these awful, One of us. One, one of, of us. us. And there was all these other things. Like they'd, they'd find some, yeah, bad font example of, or use of that font and something, scan it, put it on their website. I don't, I don't know. And I just learned, wow, there's others like me that are very angry at that font. When that font first appeared, like you open up Word and you're like, cool, there's like 12 different fonts to pick from. And God, there's like five thousand now, <laughs> like front too many. In. There's there are too many. Too many. And well, it's, it's I thought that was thing. cool back in the day because I'm like, ooh, it's like Egyptian. Are you talking so about weird. you're talking about heavy metal bands? I mean, it, the use of like old English fonts, and I know I'm sitting right behind a couple of them right here, but you can actually your band uses that. Mm, well, yeah, but we're cool though. Oh. But the one we use is like legible though, and I I don't even want to go into all the detail that went into doing our logo because some guy that was actually hand done. I'll just tell you that right now: the thousand yard stair logo is actually hand done. Okay. Um, long story, and it's that's way we wanted to make sure it was legible. But yeah, that's the, well, the, that's the metal thing. Ill- you can't read band well, logos. Of course, yeah. Well, right? you get into like all the you know, all the death metal it's just stuff. It's stupid. Like, you can't even read it. Like, what is that? I have to yeah. see it in print somewhere else to like know what their dumb logo is. And, I think and they're usually a horrible band. Well, yeah, they usually also have the same. I can't, I can't think of one band out there that has but, an unreadable logo that I actually like. But Omen Bringer. But Omen Bringer would be awesome. So what kind of lo- what kind of logo would it be? It's, I don't. It's a really cool. You font. just said like an awesome logo. I don't know. Is there a, is there a, a logo? Is there a, is there a font called Awesome Logo? I'm seeing a very fantasy based cover. Oh God, <laughs> Omen Bringer. It's gonna- <laughs> It's gonna, maybe, it's gonna maybe, be, it's maybe, be, maybe Boris Vallejo or something. It's could, gonna be your mom metal. That's what it's gonna be. My your mom metal. Your mom metal. That, that's yeah. The, she's soaring vocals. The, yeah, soaring vocals. She's in twin all guitar the, solos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is which is fantastic. I mean, it's I'm great. not gonna say it's bad. It's great stuff. I so. love that stuff. So watch out for Omen Bringer, our new yeah, band yeah, coming out coming, coming, coming at you pretty soon. Uh, we'll be at Troy Taylor's uh, conference in 2022. 2022, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we are not gonna be at Troy Taylor's conference this year. In case yeah. anyone is listening and wondering. Hey, uh, just because we thought we're going to give it a little more time. I don't we, know if Michigan's quite out of the woods yet. I think everything's still experimental. Uh, we thought this thing through time. and it really bummed us out uh, to have to tell Troy that. But he understood, thankfully. Yeah, because no, Troy's the man. We, we love the guy. I'm glad death. that he's able to do it this year. I know they're not going to be taking any people at the door. Like, the tickets they sold, that's it. That's that's the only people getting in. No, and we and we will promote the heck out of this thing, too, like we normally do. We just personally want to give it a little bit more time, and unfortunately, that's still, I, that was within that yeah. that that wait, how we'll much time you want year. to give it. We're, we're going to be there next year for unless sure. there's a new pandemic. Well, yeah, hopefully Wouldn't that be you know. horrible. Well, I, you know, I think, and I don't want to talk about COVID all night, but I mean, I think we may have had a different perspective if we didn't get it back in April. Both of us got it. I think that changed our perspective a, a lot. Of, I mean, we took it seriously before that. Clearly, we did. But once we got it and we actually got that positive test, I know that changed things for us a bit. Like, okay, we got to lock this down even tighter now, right? And well, now, it's just but now all of a sudden, stupid. now all of a sudden, in, in Michigan here at least, I mean, you, literally, this change is like overnight. Like everything is like changing now. Like everybody's just yeah, and that's what that's what makes me nervous. That's like, what makes me nervous too. Like, uh, yeah. is this? I don't know this fast. Okay. Well, but yeah. Whatever. Whatever. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll have to we see what happens. It. But unfortunately, yeah. Um, as far as Troy's conference, we'll be there in 2022 for sure. I did. Uh, I did. Yeah. Marty and I did make the decision to go to the Michigan UFO contact uh, conference in September in Holton Lake. I'm well, that's not past sure. Our, that's past our, our, our window we made. Basically, yeah. You know, I, so. I, and everything in Michigan at that point is going to be wide open. Like I, at this point right now, July, as of like what? July 
first or something. It's all restrictions are gone. Yeah. So yeah. whatever, we can be there. And I don't know. We'll see how it goes, you know. It's it's going to be the, re- the I want to That means on. we have a lot of time though to practice as Omen Bringer. Uh, yeah. We can get the t-shirts made, merch. All right, guys, let's 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 play it again. <laughs> let's tell people about Brandon Weston <laughs> instead of our imaginary metal band <laughs> inspired by Brandon. <laughs> inspired by Brandon. <laughs> um, thanks for the idea, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for the idea. Thank you. Brandon. We'll give you a, a cut of the proceeds. At Tell us all tour. about Brandon, Amber. Okay. Brandon Weston is an Ozark healer, herbalist, folklorist, and writer living in Northwest Arkansas. Brandon is the owner and operator of Mountain Man Healing, and he is an active blogger on Ozark magic and medicine. He also gives lectures in native plant walk, walks throughout Arkansas and Missouri. He can be found at OzarkHealing.com. And, of course, if you stop by our website, if you don't feel like Googling stuff, we'll have all of his social media and uh, links available there for you to click on. So enjoy this awesome show with Brandon Weston. About this show because growing up I've always been interested in magical traditions and primarily folk magic I, I, I I'm 40 and Wicca and wow, paganism you that? shut up I don't care and you're a girl I don't care and wow. Wicca and paganism became really really popular when I was in junior high and high school and as someone that like me interested in the supernatural paranormal all these things and definitely not interested in my Catholic roots I was like really gravitated towards that, but I didn't like all of the magic that went along with it. Not magic, but the more traditional, like you have to draw down the moon and do this and point to the north and the south. And there, there just seemed like so much involved that I'm like, no, this is just like church. This is like this, the seems, same type of ritual. Seems very complicated. Yeah, like I don't want to do this. This is dumb. And yeah. then I was always buying books on, like if I saw something on folk magic practices, like hoodoo or powwows in Pennsylvania and I've, I've always been interested in that kind of stuff because of its simplicity. So when uh, we got an email from Brandon Weston, who wrote a book, Ozark Folk Magic, I was like, ooh, neat, and <laughs> immediately like looked into it. And so we have Brandon here with us tonight to talk about his amazing book that just came out this year, Ozark Folk Magic. And we're going to talk about Ozark magical traditions and also in with like in the realm of the paranormal. So we're kind of keeping it around our... Well, yeah, I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious to see that where the glue is with that. Yeah. And then, so I want to welcome Brandon to the show. Yes, and Brandon. Thank you so I much. I really want you to start by telling us how you got involved in this and how you got on this path that led you to writing this book and becoming this type of researcher and becoming a practitioner yourself and a healer of Ozark, Ozark folk magic. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, it's really great to be on the show thank you for having me no thank you for taking uh, the time to talk to us it means a lot really thank you yeah of course you know like i always tell people that you know i could 
talk to a brick wall about this all day long. So it's, it's nice, you know, not talking to the brick wall today, but actually talking to some people. Uh, so this, yeah, this has been a passion area of mine since, you know, I was a kid. I, I grew up here in the Ozarks. I'm, I'm in sort of Northwest Arkansas area, uh, which is considered a part of the Southern Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up with Ozark family. Um, multi-generational Ozarker. My parents are from here, grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, (laughs) all the way back um, pretty much to the early 1800s when uh, Ozarkers sort of settled the land that was opened up during the Indian Removal Act. Um, So, you know, before that, they were a part of that. Um, So it's been a part of my life for you know, forever. Um, growing up, I, so it's been a part of my life for, you know, forever. Um, growing up, I, you know, there were weird family stories and traditions that we passed around. Um, you know, at the time, I didn't really think anything was weird about it. It was just, you know, sort of life and uh, what I did. But I, I did. I do remember thinking it was kind of weird that my friends, you know, not all my friends had similar traditions. Uh, one that I always like talking about is the hoop snake. So the hoop snake is a Ozark fantastical creature. It's a snake that can bite its own tail and roll like a wagon wheel across the ground. And, uh, my grandpa used to say that if it catches up to you, it'll spit poison in your eyes. So this was kind of a story that people would tell, especially to kids that, you know, play out in the woods a lot. You know, Terrifying. Keeping it. Yeah. To keep, <laughs> that was a guy kind of one of those things you know keep an eye on your surroundings you know make sure you know where you are and make sure you know you don't get into trouble and all that but you know it was uh there's other stories and things like that from my family that you know I didn't think anything of but um you know when I when I got out of high school and college I took a folklore class and we read Vance Randolph Ozark Magic and Folklore and so Vance Randolph is the probably the best known Ozark folklorist. Uh, he wrote mostly in the 30s and 40s. Um, and his Ozark magic and folklore is what has been used uh, amongst folklorists and practitioners for, you know, to, since 47 when it was published. And so I found it and, you know, he was talking about the hoop snake. He talked about other you know, healing traditions and things that I had in my family. I have a, a, a great uncle, Uncle Bill, who was a wart buyer. Uh, he could buy warts off of you. <laughs> so um, usually like family reunions and stuff, when we saw him, if you had a wart, you'd go up and say, Uncle Bill, I got a wart. And uh, he'd pull out a penny or a dime out of his pocket and <laughs> say, well, I'll buy it off of you. And so you knew to take the money. And when you took the money overnight, your warts would go away. So that was just, you know, did it work? Bill. Yeah. yeah well, I, you know, my, my family, my dad has stories about it working. My grandpa it was his brother. He has stories about it working. If anyone had warts, they knew exactly who to go to, huh. uh, to go to uncle Bill and he'd buy them off of you. Uh, but when I was reading Vance Randolph, he has, he mentions the wart buyer. He mentions, you know, wart charmers and these sort of magical cures and amongst lots of other things. And so as I was reading this, you know, this account, I, something clicked in my mind. And, you know, I, I, up until that point, I had never considered myself a part of a culture. I'd never considered myself 
this big tapestry of folk belief. And so from then I, I started collecting my own stories because, you know, Vance ran tapestry of folk belief. And so from then I, I started collecting my own stories because, you know, Vance Randolph wrote collecting my own stories because, you know, Vance Randolph wrote in the forties, you know, I wanted to know, what has happened since then? You know, right. are these folk practices still around? Are they dead? You know, wh- wh- where are we now in the Ozarks? So I started with family collecting stories and as much as I could. And then I kind of branched out from there. I traveled around for a few years, just, you know, whenever I could, just collecting things from people here and there. And what ended up happening is I got a lot of, uh, a lot of really good stuff from, you know, regular people. Uh, home remedies, folk remedies, things like that. But then because I'm an Ozarker, because I'm a practitioner myself, I got the good stuff too. <laughs> all of the ghost stories, the, oh. the folk magic practices, the witch practices, all of these, you know, sort of fringe beliefs that, that people have and, you know, for centuries have kept secret amongst amongst their families. And so as a practitioner, this book is really very different. It's not an academic work. It's It's not, you know, like Vance Randolph's work. It's really from my own perspective and my own interaction with, with modern practitioners. Uh, so there's still this heart of folk practice, but you know, it's, uh, it's changed a lot. <laughs> well, one of the things that I appreciate you pointing out when it comes to looking at what Vance Randolph wrote was how, Old fork, fork, ugh, can't talk. Old, old folk, fork, fork. forks, old forks, <laughs> old folk lorists would often point, use the word superstition right. over and over as if, like, okay, I am academically researching this topic, but, you know, it's just they were superstitious and, you know, it like right. kind of de- demoting them a little bit for, for the beliefs they held. And I, I noticed that in my own research when I've, when I've looked up Michigan stuff, like, they just, oh, you know, superstitious people. Like, and so I was happy that you pointed that out because it is one of those things that I, when people revisit old folklore and sort of go, hey, I gotta, I wanna revive this, like what you did, it, you can kind of look at those biases that people used to write with and kind of give that a much needed update. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's been one of the most detrimental, you know, things to Ozark folk culture and folk cultures across, you know, the U.S. and the world. It's the, 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 the stereotypes that are applied to it. So in the Ozarks, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of the practices we have aren't around anymore is because people wanted to get away from the hillbilly stereotype. Yeah. They wanted to get away from that superstition, you know, that they grew up with. And so by having folklorists, people that you kind of trust you know, to collect these stories and things like that, having folklorists use superstition or, you know, hillbilly stereotypes, things like that. It, it's really detrimental to the culture. And uh, I know, you know, for me and, and my family, you know, there's, there's a reason why, you know, I don't have as thick of an accent as my parents do, my grandparents, things like that. Yeah. Because even I, you know, growing up wanted to distance myself from that. And so one of the things that really drove me to, continue my research and especially with this book is this I wanted to be a representative of my culture you know I wanted to approach it not as an outsider looking in but as someone from within the culture really wanting to not just revitalize the culture uh, because I think we're at a good time for that but also to help validate the culture for others um, the way that interactions had helped validate it for me. 
you know, it's it's funny, related but not related, um, that that gets mentioned. And I've often said that because I have a lot of family from 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 Tennessee, right? And mm-hmm. there's there's yeah. a, there's a there's a there's a dialect down there. There's an accent down there. And I've often wondered, I mean, what as far as like the hillbilly stereotype, right? Which we, <laughs> we all know, we all know well, right? Um, I wonder just why, and I guess, I mean, I may be answering my own question because I've seen some pretty backwoods folk. Um, I have relatives that are pretty backwoods folk and they weren't educated people. They lived, they lived their own means and they just weren't educated by our standards today, right? right. And I, I, I've always wondered, you know, I guess the whole hillbilly stereotype, the first thing you think of is dumb, <laughs> yeah. right? And I mean, naturally, any person who, you know, an intellectual, they're going to distance themselves from that, of course. I mean, I 100% agree with that. But I, I it, it's funny to think about that because I wonder really where the whole, the, where, where it grew legs and just kind of went through time like that, where the hillbilly stereotype, when you think of people with that accent, and there's different right. even types of different accents within that accent, right? When you hear that, you automatically think, oh, boy, low IQ alert. Low I, I IQ do feel bad for yeah. Southern the Southern group because I, I and feel I'm – be- No, am I, I'm not beating on any, up no. on anybody here at all. It's just, it was just a curious but thing I, I thought I, of. I've done that myself where, like, you go to some mode, like, I, I don't know, say something stupid, and you're like, oh, and you start doing, like, this Southern accent. I'm like, oh, it's bad. Like, bad. There's extremely intelligent people you with are not probably sensitive, thick, Amber. You are thick not Southern sensitive. accents. But there is that, like, wanting yeah. to remove yourself from that to, yeah. like, distance right. yourself, and it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, uh, just, well, just I mean, yeah, the more you look into, you know, just the dialect, uh, especially in the Ozarks and Appalachians, you know, yeah. so there's this huge Ozark Appalachian connection, the people that settled the Ozark mountains came from Appalachia, it was mm-hmm. hill folk traveling to to highland areas. So we have this really, we're still considered a part of the greater Appalachian cultural region. Uh, but when you look at Appalachian hill folk dialects in general, uh, you know, a lot of it is based on um, Gaelic roots. So we're talking Irish roots and Scottish roots. So a lot of the words that we use are sort of Americanizations of Gaelic words. And so, you know, once I started looking into that, it changed the way I thought about my family you know some of the words that they use that i thought were just you know not proper english well it, it you know there's a reason for that <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with the isolation of the families um and so you know the story of uh, the hillbilly you know is i mean it's a really long and, and convoluted story but you know just in short and this kind of goes into a lot of the the hidden practices the paranormal stuff the magic stuff yeah. is that so the, the hill folk that came into the area, when you think about early settlement, you know, people were coming to mountainous areas where you can't farm. You can't farm in these mountains. You can't. And a lot of times you can't raise livestock. You know, you have cows breaking legs and stuff like that, trying to get around. You have to get to some of these areas by mule or by donkey, things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you t- look at the families that came that voluntarily came to these mountain areas, they were crazy. They were crazy people in a lot of cases. <laughs> and in a lot of uh, a lot of the families, they they sought out the isolation for very specific reasons. 
And in a lot of cases, it was to sort of, you know, chip away their own life, uh, their, you know, their own independence for them and their kids, their communities, things like that. But you also have a lot of people that sought isolation for uh, what we might have call spiritual reasons or mystical reasons, um, people that, you know, found a lot of power in uh, the mountains and the otherworldly inhabitants of mm-hmm. the mountains. And so these hill folk that settled in the area, you know, later on, the farmers came into the valley areas after, you know, 30, 40 years, they, they came in after all the hill folk. And so you see this cross-culturally around the world between mountain people and quote-unquote civilized people. You have the people in the valley who are, you know, wealthy, they build up towns, things like that. And there's always a separation between the mountain folk and the valley folk. And usually, and if we look at the Ozarks, this is definitely the case, the valley folk, the people that in town have always had these very weird beliefs about hill folk, specifically, uh, you know, that the hill folk are all witches or that the hill folk can talk to birds is one of them that I collected. And that, you know, hill folk, they, they speak with the devil and they, you know, do strange rituals and things like that. So it's not just the uneducated stereotype, but it's also the, uh, the not civilized stereotype, you know, these people are wild, you know, we don't know what they're going to do. So we need to fear them. We need to keep them where they are. and We need to keep them out of our civilized area. So in the Ozarks, this has really affected a lot of our folk beliefs because a lot of the folk beliefs, the old practices, folk magic and healing and stuff like that, a lot of the good, the good folk tales, the, the good uh, songs, fiddle tunes, things like that have been preserved, not by the valley folk, not by townsfolk, but by hill folk who have kept it as a part of their personal identity. And due to this sort of isolation in the mountains, they have you know, really grown these practices, evolved these practices. That's fascinating. You don't, it's, it's. Well, there, yeah, there's a history for yeah, everything. Yeah, and I for mean, everything. I mean, and, you know, I, you, as you're saying this, I come to thought about that. And I'm like, well, yeah, my father's side of the family that I said are all from Tennessee. They originally migrated from Wales. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts to make perfect sense when you think about it, that this is, they, they weren't always in the same spot. Um, and, you, you know, you said crazy and, you know, people that are willing to go through those kind of means to get somewhere or take something somewhere. Um, and I thought resilient also. Like, you, right. I mean, you got to be crazy. I'm 100% behind you on that. you got to be a bit crazy to, to put up with that much to get somewhere, how difficult that work would be. But that's also just un- unbelievably resilient, too, as far as people. You don't make them tougher than that, really. <laughs> Absolutely. And that resilience is really reflected in a lot of the folk practices Um, you know, typically, you know, the healers that I've met and certainly in my own practice, you know, you don't buy things, you don't, you, you know, it's, it's a practice based on what you can gather off the land, which you can grow or what you can find around the house. So, you know, magical tools might include, 
you know, an ordinary kitchen knife uh, that's used to magically cut illness off of a person or a broom, just an ordinary broom used, you know, with the idea that as you can sweep a house clean, you can sweep a person clean of hexes, of, of curses, things like that. And so this repurposing of household objects is a really big part of Ozark folk magic um, because, you know, folk practices are all based in necessity. They're all based in the sense of survival. You know, if you are out in the hills and you <laughs> cut off a finger, what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> if you don't have a doctor around, you, you might have somebody in your family that, you know, have, knows what to do. But in, in a lot of cases, families would have healers that they have, that they raised up within the family. A lot of times they were p- people with, uh, in positions of power, like the granny women, um, who were usually older ladies who had had lots of kids and were usually midwives, but then they also carried a lot of herbal knowledge. Um, but then also they knew about, you know, spells and charms and things like that. Um, so all of these practices were born out of necessity and born out of this sort of need for survival. And so it, that has always been, even, you know, now when we have so many different sort of pieces and things coming in from other traditions, we have, you know, the internet where we can, you know, buy whatever we need yeah. to very specific things. Um, the folk practice itself. And one thing I like to encourage with people practicing in this way is, you know, to, uh, to simplify things, to, to connect to this idea of simplicity in the practice and see what you can repurpose, what you can gather sustainably off the land or grow yourself. Well, I think the whole damn world needs that at this point. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We really do. And I I find myself getting into this conversation uh, with people a lot, especially over the last, you know, since the whole COVID thing, I know, I know it's all slowing down now, but I mean, the, when the COVID thing was in full gear, um, you know, I thought about just how different things were and how, yeah, how amazing it was. We could, I mean, dare I say, we were ordering a lot of things. I'm like, I'm like, look, we can get grocery. We can get whatever we want here. All we <laughs> got to do is just just go on our phone or our laptop and push a couple of buttons and, and let the credit card do its magic. And whammo, here's your thing in 24 hours or less or whatever it might be. Right. And you think about people in that era, uh, in the old times, let's just say. Uh, and I think about that a lot. I'm like, man, you know. That type of drama. So, okay, if we don't grow food or we don't go out and shoot something, we starve to death. <laughs> it's right. as simple as yeah. that. Uh, you know, and I know I, it really is that simple. Uh, and I don't think people, well, I just teach kids these days. I mean, it ain't like that at all. Um, but I think people, when it's so far back that we haven't experienced that in so long, people start to forget that how things really were and how people did live off the land and how, how things were much more simple because they had to be simple. They, you, right. had to, you had to conserve your energy. You had to do a lot of things to just simply survive. And be yeah, resilient, absolutely. right? Um, and you know, and I think we can't, we may have answered this in a lot of, in, in a couple of ways here, um, just just given the beliefs and the practices. But but you mentioned this, you know, the paranormal itself, and maybe how like to hit the question directly on the nose, I guess. Uh, how, how Ozarkers? That's a hard thing for me to say. I, <laughs> that's a hard thing for me to say. You've you've broke me, Brandon. I, I Ozarkers. <laughs> Traditionally, I mean, how they would, how they look at things, uh, you know, of the paranormal. I mean, I know people, you know, in our day and age, we kind of have a viewpoint. Everybody has their own viewpoint on the paranormal. Uh, I'm wondering, like, directly, like, what, 
like what their view is of this stuff. Well, and I'm curious too about Because we talk this. about superstition and things like sure, that. Sure. Right? I'm curious about this too because I feel like through reading Brand, going through Brandon's book that yeah, there's yeah. a fine line that seems to be drawn with Ozark folk magic because of the influence of Christianity and oh, not wanting okay. to be like, you know, involved with witchcraft and we're not doing that devil stuff. It, it just seems like there's a fine line that gets walked um and I could imagine that blends into the any kind of paranormal belief as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, par- paranormal beliefs in general. Uh, I mean, we have to make a separation between, the, you know, the old Ozarks and the new Ozarks, I guess you can say. Uh, really, the, the Ozarks started changing around, you know, the 50s, 60s with the Back to the Land movement. Um, there was a lot of people coming in from California, East Coast, all over the West Coast, um, people that, you know, were vegetarian, people that were practicing yoga or, you know, Chinese traditional medicine, all of this stuff. They were kind of exposed to a lot of modern witchcraft traditions, like you were talking about earlier, yeah. Wicca, things like that. So you have all of these people flocking into the Ozarks and butting up against this very conservative uh, backwoods culture. And so after that point, uh, at least in my own research, a lot of the practices have changed and the viewpoints have changed. But when we talk about the old Ozarks, the paranormal has always been a ever present part of people's lives. Um, But Ozarkers are weird about things like that. For one thing, you know, a lot of people are more conservative, so they don't they don't want to talk about it. But there's this notion in the Ozarks that you don't want to tempt fate Um, And what that means is, you know, by talking about taboo subjects, you are risking somehow putting the universe out of balance. So, for instance, you know, telling ghost stories around the campfire is one thing. But if you were to actually talk about a ghost that you saw, you run the risk of ghosts coming and appearing to you again. Mm Or, you know, by talking about magic, you run the risk of, God forbid, being born with the gift or having a child born with the gift. You know, the the sort of things you don't talk about in order to maintain this balance in the universe. But at the same time, underneath all of that, there is this very deep connection to the to the other world, to the world of spirits, things like that. So there's this very rich cosmology that we have that hasn't really been talked about because of this idea that you don't want to put the universe out of balance. And you kind of see that across other folk cultures as well. It's hidden very, very nicely behind conservative culture, though, because you have, you know, conservative people that I've met who, you know, on first encounter, they will say, oh, we don't believe in any of those superstitions. No, that's that's stuff in the past, you know, all of this other stuff. They, they, they sort of hide a lot of their folk beliefs behind this sort of conservative outside. Uh, in one case, this lady that I met, uh, she was a figure in her community. She was a praying granny, as they say. It was somebody that if you had any, any ailment or need, you could go to her and she knew exactly the Bible verse to use. And so I got interested talking to her because that screams to me of folk magic. And so we got to talking and she was a person that said, oh, I don't, you know, I don't abide any of those superstitions, things like that. But we got to talking more and more. We kind of built up our trust a little bit. And then she started talking about the little people. Oh, so so Uh the little people are uh, Ozark fairies. 
it's a mixture of European Celtic fairy lore that was brought into Appalachia and then mixed with indigenous lore about the little people. The Cherokee still call them the little people today. And so it's this weird amalgam, Americanized sort of amalgam, but it's been with us for centuries. Mm -hmm. So she started talking about the little people. And so I didn't bring up the fact that, you know, this was kind of a not very conservative belief to have. But right. <laughs> certain uh, certain holidays, she would leave food out for the little people because she didn't want to tempt fate. She 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 never admitted that she believed in them, but she all she said was that she didn't want to risk offending them by not leaving out food, especially on Christmas Eve not leaving out food that might, you know, your house might burn down, you might have a flood yeah. come through, things like that. So, and, and, you know, her belief that, uh, especially with the little people, that's not uncommon. There are a lot of people that, you know, on the outside are these, you know, people that would, you know, be hillbillies or white trash or rednecks or whatever <laughs> you want to call them on the outside. Yeah. But then they have these very complex beliefs on the, you know, underneath that, the, 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 the real, I guess, what's keeping all of this stuff hidden is, is this idea that there is this utmost respect for the other world that Ozarkers specifically, but a lot of people across different folk cultures have this utmost respect. And that respect goes back to that need for survival. You don't want to risk any aspect of your life going wrong. And so by having this respect, not just for nature, but for the unseen aspects of nature, you are able to then, you know, ensure your survival. So to go back to the little people, you know, they're, the little people are said to uh, rule over certain aspects of nature, certain land features, specifically things like waterfalls, natural springs, old trees. Uh, you know, if you're going through the woods and there's a big boulder and no other rocks around it, that's a place that the little people would dwell in. And so these areas were protected, fiercely protected. I've met farmers who refused to cut lone trees down in their fields because those single solitary trees and fields are sometimes believed to be homes of the little people. I love so that. there's yeah. this very complex underbelly um, that unfortunately we don't get to see a lot of times because, you know, it's, it's such a secretive culture. If you, you know, there's this famous say, saying that Vance Randolph collected, he named one of his books after it, but it's, we always lie to strangers. <laughs> And so it's this idea that, you know, unless you get to know us, you know, we may not talk about everything yeah. because there is that it's, it's, that it's not being, you know, it's, it's not being, I don't know, stingy or, or rude or uh, unfriendly or anything like that. It's, yeah. it's none of that. It's, it's utmost respect and that respect is goes very deep, and it's connected back to that sense for that need for survival. You know that that cracks me up. That what you just said. Um, I have driven by so many fields in the South, big giant, you know, cornfields and whatnot, and I've noticed this, Brandon. I've seen these lone trees that stand in the fields. Now maybe yeah. it's for a different reason. 
but I, you know, maybe it's something, a, a different belief, who knows, but it, I've, I remember I've seen this a handful of times and I've looked out the car window and said, got this huge field. Yeah. Why don't you just cut the tree down? Why don't you just like, cut the tree why down? Is it there? Yeah. And plant there over that too. And now I understand that there may be a reason for that. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I can't speak for everywhere, but in the Ozarks, you know, farmers will give a lot of very creative excuses for leaving stuff like that behind. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, a lot of it is connected to, you know, they may not call them the little people. Some people, you know, who have connections back to Ireland, things like that, they'll just say fairies. Um, or, or sometimes, you know, it's certain land spirits, things like that. Um, but a lot of times that is at the heart of that belief, even though on the outside, uh, you know, I've talked to lots of farmers who at first would say, oh, well, you know, I left that I left that oak tree out there so that when, you know, we're working, we have a place to picnic. You know, we have a place to, to, to sit under and get some shade while we're working in the field. And that yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, of course, that makes sense. Uh, I knew it was wrong. <laughs> I knew that wasn't <laughs> the actual belief. Uh, and so, you know, in most cases, pressing a little bit more, then they might say, well, you know, somebody told me that it might be bad luck to cut down a tree like that. And yeah. so, you know, that. Ozarkers are uh, sometimes tough nuts to crack, uh, and a lot of it is uh, because of the culture. You know, you know, if I, you're not, I if they don't know you, if they, yeah. if you're yeah. not from, or, you know, where they're from, yeah, you know, we always lie to strangers at that point. Even here in Michigan, where we're at, I just thought about this too. There's a trail I like to hike, and I've taken I've taken the picture a picture of this tree several times on my hikes out there. And it's another giant field. And this is more towards the edge of the field, but it's still in where everything is being planted at, right? And there's this old tree. And I've watched this tree literally decay over the last 10, 15 years to the point where it's falling apart now. It's just a dead tree, basically. Uh, but they don't cut it down. And I mean, again, I'm not saying it's, and we're way over here in Michigan. <laughs> so I, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but. You mentioned that that really puts a hook in me because I've seen this a handful of times now. And I wonder if it, I, yeah. I, I want to grab these well, farmers up now. So, okay. I mean, these beliefs about land spirits are cross-cultural. I know, you know, I, I do a lot of research in other sort of areas just to connect certain practices across folk traditions back yeah. to the Ozarks, things yeah. like that. And, you know, so Scandinavia has uh, a ton of these beliefs about land spirits and hidden folk um, in Iceland. And so, yeah, they inhabit trees, they inhabit rocks. It's bad luck to cut them down. It's bad luck to pull them up, things like that. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if you know, the these folk beliefs had, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, different iterations. Yeah, yeah. Well, people move everywhere. You know, people move. Sometimes they move yeah, away absolutely. from places, you know. So they, and they may take those ideas with them. That's sure. why you, you may see them further further down south, or you may see them even here in Michigan. Uh, it's a fascinating idea. I'm sorry to keep grappling I, onto this. I same feel idea, like our wow. apple tree in back that's like almost like a hundred years old. Like what? That tree's like 90, 90 years old. How do you know that? Because I looked it up on the internet. <laughs> What, I is looked there, is there a page? There's a yes. there's a, there's a fan oh page for our apple tree. No, apparently I looked on the how to measure what? the age of your tree based on circumference, and um, uh, yeah, 
and that's about the age okay, of the tree. Okay, we're going to argue about this after the show okay, because okay. I, that well, don't make a whole lot of that's sense. That's how old it is. And But I go out there and, like, like I give it hugs sometimes. Oh, it's a cold tree. Because I'm just like, oh, like, I just I just love you. Some, sometimes, too, it's like there's just something about those big old trees. Um, I think it you, doesn't I, always maybe have something to do with your, you know, your culture or anything. But, like, well, no, at least the, maybe I think, up I here, think the but, idea in nature, though... Uh, all over the world, and respect I, for them. You know, obviously, you know, with Ozarkers, nature is a very important too. If we haven't already illustrated that, right? Um, and I think the, the idea of nature it crosses all cultures and ideas and beliefs. Um, all cultures on this planet have some tie to to nature. Um, all cultures, I think, have a lot of respect for nature. Also, it's something that draws us back. I think that's one of the things that. And, and I'm not going to go on some soapbox rant, but I think we're forgetting a lot of that stuff now in our in our sophisticated societies we have now is just that going back to what we said before, Brandon, uh, simplifying things to a certain degree. Right. Yeah. I know. You know, and it's a funny thing, too, with with the younger, you know, the, those damn kids, uh, the, <laughs> the younger culture. Uh, but I do see this because, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody recently and that has always been this trope with the, I guess, what it was the Generation X or the millennials. Right. I'm far from a millennial. Um, but I, you know, well, all they do is sit on their computers all day long and they play video games and they do nothing. However, I look around and I see so many young people at parks. They're out running. They're exercising. They're doing stuff. They're, they're doing simple things. Right. And it seems like the more I look around the younger, the younger culture that I see, they're younger than me, at least they are tied to nature more. I see them filling parks wherever, whenever I go out for my hikes and stuff like that. So I think maybe the world is going and this is my, just ideas I'm throwing out there that maybe with all this technical sophistication we have, it has amplified the fact that we as a society really should step it back a little bit and and get things simple, right? Uh, the hard drive to get off fossil fuels and things like that. It's been this it's been more aggressive now uh, than I've ever seen to just get us off fossil fuels and things like that. So it seems like maybe we may be simplifying things to a certain degree. We'll be we're sophisticated still obviously and I guess sophisticated in our terms. But maybe right. maybe maybe the younger generation is doing some cool stuff like that, which I think is fantastic. And, it's, and I see it personally. I see it every day. Uh, and I think that's a cool thing. Um, just that that was just an observation. <laughs> I had to throw that out. Yeah, there. no, I, I mean, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're exactly right with that. But I, I think at least for the folk, I think folk culture is so often tied to nature because going back to that idea of survival. And I think that that, that need for yeah. nature has fallen away. Um, and that has caused a lot of the problems that we have. If you are close to nature, you're less likely to destroy nature because, I mean, destroying you, you nature, you, you're very intimately tied to it. Yeah. And you can actively see by, you know, plugging up this, this natural spring, you know, in the drought, I'm not going to have any water. You know, so it and a lot of folk beliefs around land spirits and things like that have grown up as ways of, you know, naturally you know, within the community and culture protecting these sort of sacred sites. I think to go back to the, the generational thing, mm -hmm. um, you know, at least in the Ozarks, there's been um, at least a couple of sort of lost generations. Um, my parents, so I'm, I'm a millennial. <laughs> I'm thir 33. <laughs> I'm glad, uh, I, I'm glad I didn't beat up on the millennials tonight. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, so I see um, my, my, 
grandparents, of course, knew more than my parents. Um, my great grandparents, I know for a fact, knew more than my grandparents about sort of folk practices and cultural things. Um, my, at least with my grandparents and my parents' generation, there was a big push to move away from the hillbilly stereotype. Yeah. But what I see with my generation and the, and younger generations is that we're coming back to this sort of folk revival um, across the board. Um, so it doesn't, it's not just Ozarks, but sort of in America, we're coming back to this, you know, time when people are interested in folk crafts, folk cultures, things yeah. like that, food ways. And so a lot of the people that come to my workshops and classes, a lot of the people that read my books are millennials. They're Gen Z. Um, they're people who grew up with these beliefs, but they are a part of these lost generations yeah. uh, who are now really wanting to reclaim and revitalize their own culture. I don't know how many people I've talked to around my age, millennials, who you know have come up and said, you know, thank you. Um, I feel you know validated as an Ozarker because of this book. I never knew that this was a part of my heritage or my culture. And I think that hap so, I think yeah. that happens a lot. You mentioned earlier on in the talk about growing up and not feeling part of any culture until you actively yeah. started to learn about it. And I think I felt the same way here in Michigan. Like, ah, we don't live in the north. We're not northerners. Like those kids, Canadians. Like you just <laughs> there's like a lot of stuff like that is around you that you just go meh. And then once you finally start getting involved in your local history and and, and your family and your genealogy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it all just sort of comes to life in front of you and you're like, oh, my God. Or like you you even said that happened oh. here. That happens here. Right. What, what's going on? Yeah. Like all the cool history that's around you and how you would mention certain words that you just thought were ignorant actually yeah. go back to something else. And then they don't seem so ignorant anymore. And right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love the fact that younger people are. It's just, I mean, I think it's happened to every generation. There's yeah. been people that have wanted to reconnect with their roots and where they came from. Um, I want to uh, get into some paranormal stuff because we still have these questions that I want uh, yeah, to attack. Yeah, this is one of those topics I, there's I, I so can much. feel it. We're no, there's like... so much. I knew we were going to go all over the place. And, like, we can literally could probably have Brandon come back because there's other aspects of this book, like yeah, with getting... the, the healing part of things, like yeah, the medicinal yeah, stuff, yeah. plants. It's, it's yeah. Uh, but I... There's a question here. How have Ozarkers traditionally approached ghosts and spirits of the dead? Especially yeah. with this stigma of like trying yeah. to walk this fine line of like, you know, we don't well, dabble. Yeah, well, in, we've already discussed. We're not necromancers. We don't dabble yeah. in witchcraft. We don't talk to the dead. You know, it's like, how did they view that? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, as with most aspects of Ozark folkways, it's very complicated mm -hmm. because, you know, there's the surface level and then there's all of this stuff that's kind of underneath that um, surface level. You know, most Ozarkers all the way back, you know, again, talking, you know, before the 60s, um, you know, were from a very specific branch of Christianity, Protestant Christianity. Um, there were isolated Catholic groups around, but even amongst the Protestants, they were seen as you know, backward and superstitious and all of this other stuff. Um, so as far as this like sort of cultural connection to the dead goes, you know, outwardly, you know, you live, you die, you go to heaven or hell. That's, you know, what's preached from the pulpits and all this other stuff. But underneath that, there is so much more. <laughs> There's so much more to explore. There are, there are folk beliefs that I've collected where people believe in, you know, reincarnation. They believe that spirits of the dead 
come back um, as omen bringers, or in Ozarks, they're called tokens. So tokens are signs that you see in the world, you know, these natural signs that can point to danger, can point to, you know, there's a belief that if you see uh, certain types of butterflies, that's that's spirits of the dead coming back to let you know that they love you. Um, There's a folk belief that if a red bird, uh, we have these cardinals down here, but, you know, a red bird, taps at your window it's a it's a token it's a sign from one of your dead relatives that danger is on its way and in some cases you know the the sign is that you are quickly going to join them (laughs) in the afterlife um so there's there's all of these tokens or you know what people have called superstitions that really um superstition has has been used as a simplifying word for so long you know oh we you know it's just a superstition we don't know where it came from it's just one of those those things but you know when you when you start looking at these signs these tokens they all connect back to this sense that the the other world is ever present around us there you know there's this idea in you know as far as ozark cosmology goes which is you know just like the fancy word that i like using all the time <laughs> cosmology <laughs> that no ozarker would ever use <laughs> but so as a part of ozark cosmology there's the individual you know there's the world that we see around us but then there's this other world this mirror world uh to our own and that is where spirits of the departed live angels um but also you know the the spirits that people have called devils demons um that we might call the little people or you know land spirits things like that they all live in this other world and normally you know on a day-to-day basis we can't see that other world um apart from tokens signs from the other world that sort of leak into our own and at certain times of the year so you know Traditional Ozarkers have this, you know, connection to Halloween um, that goes back to Celtic folk belief and things like that. Of At Halloween, you know, the dead are said to be able to wander around. The veil between worlds is thin, things like that. There's a lot of spirit activity, a lot of uh, activity from the little people, things like that. So there are these folk beliefs as well. But so, but on a day-to-day basis, you know, people can't contact that other world, but healers can so there's this idea that you know somebody who is born with the gift or born with the power um, somebody that has this sort of inborn quality about them that will lean them towards the path of a healer or sometimes they may reject it altogether but this gift is almost like is sometimes called like a second sight Um, sometimes it's, you know, people refer to it as having, you know, one foot in this world, one foot in the other. There's this idea that because of this inborn gift, certain people have a natural inclination to see that other world. And so in a lot of cases, people are born with the gift, but in, in other cases, people find the gift, people buy the gift from the little people. You know, they engage in these sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> exchanges of, you know, tasks or promises for the power, things like that. And so there, there's this idea that, you know, today 
you know, if you know anything about modern witchcraft traditions, things like that. And a lot of cases, you know, there's this idea that everybody can be a witch, you know, and all you need is, you know, the intention and the right tools and you can be a witch. Right. And that's just, that's not the case in Ozark traditional belief and, and, you know, traditional folk belief. The, the idea was that it was something you, it was a tangible power. It was something you had to be born with. It was something that you had could be gifted, something that you could find, you could buy, you could barter for, you could steal in some cases, but it was very tangible. It was almost like, so one, the, the major image that I love using for the power is, is a pitcher, uh, like a tea pitcher uh, full of water. And, you know, you are born with a certain amount of water in this pitcher. Sometimes you don't have any, sometimes you have a lot. Um, but you know, you, you have this, this tea pitcher full of water and you can add to it. Uh, you can have somebody gift you power and they will pour some water into your pitcher, but it's very tangible. So it can be lost as well. Hmm. And so certain practices, rituals, things like that, if too many people see what you're doing or hear the words that you're saying, you are pouring water out of your pitcher. And so healers typically when they are wanting to retire, they will find an apprentice or, you know, somebody in their family that has certain signs or tokens about them to, you know, certain leanings towards the power. And they will just all at once give away everything. So they'll fill up their apprentice's pitcher with this water completely and they'll be done. They won't have any left for themselves. And so it's, this this connection to the other world is kind of breached with these healers um and in some ways that is a way for ordinary people to also experience that um uh, you know a lot of times healers are invited to funerals things like that to lay the spirit of the dead or you know make sure that they are put to rest um and there's some old traditions surrounding that a lot of times they were brought to wakes and given you know, as much food as they wanted in order to just be there and make sure that the spirit didn't come back to haunt the family or, you know, didn't, didn't roam around. And in a lot of cases, you know, like we were talking about earlier, none of this was spoken about. None of this was spoken about, uh, except, you know, on a very sort of surface level. So you might have, you might have somebody in the community that, you know, knows things as they say, you invite them to the funeral you don't know what they're doing. They, they're not going to tell you what they're doing. They're just there to eat. They're just there to pay their respects. But underneath all of that is this really complicated process of, you know, their interaction with the spirits of the dead and the ghosts and the family and stuff like that. But no one would ever say anything lest they tempt fate and risk, you know, something bad happening. That's that whole kind of secrecy part of it seems to be more unique to maybe I'm wrong on this, but is it more unique? Like with all of the other folk magic practices you've probably looked into, like we mentioned hoodoo or powwows, was was this secrecy element a little stronger in Ozark folk magic compared to others that you've studied? Well, I think that's that's kind of a cross-cultural aspect okay. of folk culture in general okay. is the need for secrecy because okay. it goes back to that that sort of survival tendency. Yeah. I think that traditions that have been um, written about more um, have less of that sort of secrecy as a part of their cult- modern culture, I guess. Okay. Um, the thing with the Ozarks is that no one's really written about this. Yeah. 
since Vance Randolph, um, apart from historical stuff. I will say, though, you know, nowadays, the, the, the modern Ozark healers that I've met and in my own practice, secrecy is not as, uh, as much of a sort of taboo. And so in the old days, you had very strict rules about how you could pass down the power, who you could pass it to, um, all of this other stuff. And most, in most cases, healers don't really abide by stuff like that anymore. The reason for that is that um, most of the healers that I've met have no one in their lives that were interested. So they would literally give their gift away to anybody that was interested. And, and that's a really sad fact. Yeah. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, they don't, their grandkids have moved away. Their kids don't want to be a part of the superstitions. Um, and so they, you know, they may have a lot of knowledge. They may have a lot of power, but they don't have anywhere to put it. You know, they don't have anywhere, anyone to give it to. So the, it's sort of opened up a lot of the practices these days. Um, you just kind of have to sometimes build up trust uh, with a person and then they will a lot of times give you a lot of stuff. But in the old days, that was not a thing that was done. Uh, secrecy yeah. for healers was uh, necessary to keep the practice, you know, traditional or mm -hmm. pure, whatever that means. But also it was for self-survival as well. Yeah. Um, if you pass around this stuff to too many people, then you risk people calling you a witch or, you know, all this other stuff. Um, but today, you know, a lot of that's changed, um, just mostly out of necessity for passing down the practice. Well, to I think, uh, you know, just a quick note on that. I think the paranormal in general across the board, across the entire United States, maybe the world, it's 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 a lot different. It is a lot less taboo. People are talking about this stuff a lot more nowadays. So I think yeah. I think it just it's just a part of the, the, the wider culture we have now where where these ideas are just out there a lot more and people are more accepting of them, I think. No, absolutely. Um, I think because of, you know, internet culture and all of this other stuff, I think we're, um, we're exposed to a lot more information and that makes us a little bit more likely to share information as well. Um, but so that's been one of the interesting areas for my, my research is finding out how these sort of folk practices and beliefs have changed into the modern world, especially with exposure to, you know, lots of different traditions of witchcraft, new age traditions, things like that, mm -hmm. um, you know, is, and what I found is that they're, you know, we've just changed how we view tradition. Um, it's, it's still traditional. It's still Ozark. These are still Ozark practitioners. Yes, but, of course. Uh, and Ozarkers, going back to that idea of resilience, you know, Ozarkers have always been open to bringing in other things. You know, there was a healer that I met who <laughs> he said, you know, if it works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, this has always kind of been a part of the tradition. It's just nowadays we have a lot more, there's a lot bigger well to draw from. Um, and you see that in a lot of the modern practices and beliefs. Now, you yourself discovered while you've been on this path that you have gifts. When what did you discover about yourself that you're able to do, and 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 how did those how did that kind of unfold in your life? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I've always kind of had a little bit of a, I guess what, what the old timers would call it, you know, an inclination or a token, you know, towards certain, uh, you know, the trees and nature, I would, you know, be out in the woods a lot and I would see fairies and I would see, you know, spirits and things like that. And, but it was just kind of always a part of, you know, what I was considered a part of childhood yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I started off with uh, the Ozark stuff more as a researcher, as a folklorist um, with kind of, you know, my love of the weird stuff still on the back of yeah. my mind. Um, but I was, I was talking to a healer that I had met and I was kind of presenting the book to her, the, the first, you know, form of the book, which it looked nothing like the one I published. Um, so I was talking to her about it and everything. And she just stopped me and she said, you know, you're a part of this story too. And up until that point, I hadn't viewed myself as an informant. I hadn't viewed myself as an Ozarker who knew things. Uh, so she, it, it took her, you know, kind of stopping me in my tracks and saying, no, you have the gift as well. You need to write from your perspective. You need, you need to, you need to connect to this work as a healer. And so it immediately changed the way I went about collecting things. I wasn't collecting things as a researcher. Uh, I stopped taking, you know, a recorder with me. I stopped taking pads of paper and stuff like that. And I just started absorbing um, everything that I could. Traditionally, uh, folk practices have, well, magic and healing practices have always been passed down orally. Um, there used to be a very big taboo against writing things down, um, writing down charms, verbal charms and spells and things. It was said it killed the magic. And I don't have the same sort of belief uh, just from personal experience, but that was a big part of this sort of second stage of my work was trying to work in that old way, trying to absorb what I could from storytellers and healers uh, orally uh, so that I could retain information. And, you know, in, in Ozark folk belief, having the gift doesn't automatically make you, you know, a healer or a witch. Um, it's all about accepting the gift and embracing it and cultivating it. It's like being born with a seed inside of you um, or a pitcher of water. You know, you've yeah. got to cultivate the seed to let it grow. You've got to, you know, do something with the water uh, or else it'll just sit there. And so for me, um, personally, in my, my practice, I started off doing mostly herbal work, plant work, stuff like that. Um, but my relationship to plants quickly transformed into a relationship to spirits. Um, so relationship to spirits of the land, uh, the little people, relationship to ghosts, things like that. Um, so I consider myself a healer and a spirit medium. Um, I work with spirits in a little bit different way than other mediums, but I uh, typically in, in my work, I, I, I do rituals. So I, um, if someone wants a traditional house blessing, you know, I have Ozark house blessings. I make charm bags, things like that. So I work with traditional Ozark sort of folk rituals, things like that. But then I also have this sort of ever-evolving connection to the world of spirits um, that influences a lot of the, the healing work that I do. How do you, how do you see spirits? Like how do they manifest for you? Well, so for me, it's, uh, it's a lot of 
feeling and a lot of sort of auditory experience. Um, like I said, I kind of have a different relationship to spirits. I sense, I can sense ghosts and things like that. It's not, they don't always appear physically. Sometimes it, it comes as like, uh, random thoughts and memories that aren't my own, um, sort of, you know, thinking about walking down the trail or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, this civil war soldiers memories <laughs> pass through. Sure, yeah. And I kind of, you know, I learned to, to see those moments as influences from the spirit world, not as just random thoughts. And so I, I, you know, I, I'm at a p- point right now where I'm much more comfortable exploring those sorts of sorts of tangents and things, but um, typically, so I, I guess this is kind of a traditional way to work, but not a way that people have worked in a long time. Um, so I have a certain spirits that weren't necessarily spirits of the dead, but that's, you know, they are spirits that I have encountered in nature that sort of are just a part of my work. Um, they're more like tools at that point. You know, there are spirits that do certain things for me. Um, there are spirits that do certain things in my work. Um, and so those are kind of always a part of my club, <laughs> you know, they're always hanging out in my clubhouse um, for, you know, whenever, you know, I, I need to do work. And some, a lot of them are spirits of the land. Yeah. Um, so these sort of na- nature spirits that manifest, um, a lot of them are also ancestral spirits um, and, you know, spirits of other workers, things like that. Um, so, yeah, like a lot of things within the Ozarks, the the outward manifestation is, is often, you know, deceptive. It's often overly simplistic, uh, but it uh, it hides a very complex system behind it. It makes me think about this idea of because there's we all have thoughts and, and I sometimes I consider sometimes I feel like I'm attacked by thoughts. At times, I really I, I'm attacked by thoughts, thoughts that I don't want to experience. I, I don't want to have those thoughts. Sometimes they're not good thoughts, right? Some and hopefully, a lot of times they're good thoughts though too. And I never really thought about it that way. That maybe they could be this manifestation, that these could be spirits talking to us, not just our brain going in different directions chemically, right? Right. It could be transmissions we're receiving. And it ties into other ideas I've heard about how our minds are just basically one small node of a larger supercomputer, for lack of a better term, that's out there that we're plugged into, basically, that could be a spiritual element, too. Uh, And and that just makes me think about that idea that maybe some random thoughts that come through your head while you're doing something, they're not just your body or your mind responding to something. They could be coming from somewhere else. And we're all experiencing that all the time, maybe. Yeah. And I think like, you know, probably everybody experiences that, you know, like you were saying to some degree. Yeah. Um, and then I think that, you know, the only difference kind of with what I do is maybe, you know, the things that I experience are amped up just a little bit. Or, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, I, I um, think, I think, yeah, there's people that are more, way more tuned into this, obviously, yeah. like yourself oh, than others. I, I know 
I make the joke all the time that I am as I am as sensitive as the the water bottle I'm drinking right now. I mean, I, I really don't. I don't feel like I have that. But you know, hearing this, it's, it's just another idea. Like maybe I am a bit more sensitive than I give myself credit for. Well, and I think people can learn it. And yeah. like like Brandon said, you can you can, you can fill your the, picture you can, up. You can grow you that can seed. Add that water. Yeah. yeah. And some people are always going to be better at it than others. Like some people can just play basketball better than others like i'm not gonna oh, be yeah. shack at a baseball game <laughs> yeah. or i'm not baseball but no. basketball you know it's not gonna happen yeah and that that's just a fact yeah that some people will just be they will excel this at this and other people biology will. and genetics brandon <laughs> want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this has been fantastic and yeah. where pe- where can people yeah, let's find talk about you the book for a second yeah and find your book yeah. and all that good stuff yeah all that good stuff <laughs> yeah so the book is available pretty much any online bookseller uh-huh. uh it's on bookshop barnes and noble amazon all those good places yeah. um and also you know a bunch of random shops around the country are now you know sending me messages saying hey we're we're selling your book now so it could be in your own local area um but uh you can also find me my website is ozarkhealing.com i also have a facebook page ozark healing traditions and an instagram account at ozark healing traditions we'll make sure Um, we link all that stuff up on that when we post the show up we'll make sure we have all those links available to everybody too yeah so this this has been a huge part of my life and I'm so excited to be able to share it with people. Um, you know, since the, doing the pandemic and all of that, I I've started doing virtual classes instead of just the in-person classes. So mm-hmm. wherever you are, you uh, may be able to join up one of my classes. Um, I post all of that stuff on my website. So. Excellent. Awesome. Cool. Can't thank you enough again, Brandon. And we'd love to have you back on again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. We can talk about more little people and weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ghostly Talk!